Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to yet another installment. I'm very happy that you're here to join us. I've put together an amazing show for this evening, one you're going to be happy you tuned in for. Not only do I have several amazing calls to play for you, but I also have a very special interactive surprise lined up for the end of the show. So, buckle up. Turn down the lights and turn up that volume. A paranormal encounter is a funny thing. It's impossible to forget and often stays with you vividly throughout the rest of your life. Not everyone has had one, but we all know someone that's had several. I'm not embarrassed to say that I fall under the latter category. Now, it's unclear whether or not those of us with frequent experiences have some sort of connection with the unexplained, or if we simply have a better memory or a better awareness of our surroundings. Who's to say that strange things don't happen regularly, but simply go unnoticed by someone glued to their iPhone? But it's those individuals, the ones I affectionately refer to as repeat offenders, that we focus on for the first part of this evening's episode. Our first two callers are folks we've heard from before. People with several encounters, each as jaw-dropping as the next. Callers whom, if it weren't for the fact that I myself have registered a handful of unexplained events, I might question or be skeptical of. But as I mentioned prior, they may simply possess a higher awareness, an awareness that allows them to experience the strange, the unusual, and the otherworldly. To get things going, we start off with Bonnie, whom you might remember kicked off Season 3 with a story about a 15-foot-tall mantis man. Here is her second installment. Hi Derek, Uh, this is Bonnie. I called in a while back about the uh, praying mantis story that I shared. Um, And I've got a few more stories that I'd like to share, but I'm going to kind of try to stick to the theme of monsters for now. Um, I grew up mostly on the West Coast. Kind of for my dad's job, we went between Seattle, Portland, and Sacramento. And I had 
different experiences in each of those places, but this one I'm going to talk about happened when I was in high school in California in the Sacramento area. Uh, it was in 1986, and I was at the time, I think, a senior in high school, and I was doing a work program where I would go for part of my day to work in a preschool. And this particular day, <clears throat> excuse me, the preschool group was going on a field trip to the zoo. And I was riding along with a mom and her four-year-old daughter going down the freeway. And, um, you know, we were chitter-chattering, just, you know, talking about things as we drove along. And the little girl was in the back seat and just kind of riding along listening. And we came to a lull in the conversation and I was just was looking out the passenger side window. <clears throat> we were in the left lane, so cars were on our right. And I heard the little girl behind me kind of make this little sucking in gasping sound, like just a quick, <gasps> and I was looking out the window and at the same time that she gasped, this all happened so quickly, uh, the driver's window to, and the car next to us came into my view. And I saw something that I can't explain. There was, I'm pretty sure it was a gentleman driving the car, but he didn't look right. His head, his, I was looking at his profile and his head was kind of elongated, like tall, what I would maybe describe as a small elongated watermelon. And his coloring was really, really weird. It was very mottled, kind of bluish, pinkish, and very, very pale skin. And he had a few little spriggles of hair. And I just, you know, noticed this in a split second, and I felt like I wanted to gasp too. And as quickly as I noticed him and just kind of stared for a brief second, he slowly turned his head to the left towards me and we made eye contact. And when I saw his eyes, you know, as fast as I could think, I just thought, oh, this poor guy's been in a fire or, you know, he was, he has a deformity. But when we made eye contact, I noticed that his eyes were very dark and almost sunken into his face. And I wouldn't say all black, it's hard for me to remember, um, but very, very dark and almost hollow. And as soon as we made eye contact, I jerked my head away, like, you know, don't stare at special needs people. And then the car proceeded to pass us and go on. And I contemplated saying something out loud to the woman that was driving, but I felt way too embarrassed and sheepish to even try to explain or admit that I had stared at this uh, strange sight. And I realized, too, that it was very weird that the little girl didn't say anything out loud either. Because I've worked with kids my whole life, and I have five kids, and I know that kids don't normally hold back. They usually blurt out, Mommy, what's wrong with that man? Or, you know, they just don't hold back, especially if they see something strange or scary. So, of course, I've never made sense of what that was. 
But now I'm going to fast forward to when I lived in Illinois. Um, I moved to Illinois when I was about 30. And that was kind of when paranormal things seemed to kind of explode in my life. And I had a lot of things happen there. But this is kind of part two of the strange figure. Um, probably about six years ago, I was in one of the, well, heading towards one of the big box uh, you know, sale stores. <laughs> and, um, my husband and I had gotten there a little bit early before they opened. So there were little clusters of people waiting for the front doors to open, to get inside the store. And I happened to notice that in a small group of, in front of us, there was a woman who, as I was, you know, just kind of looking around, I noticed that she had, you know, some kind of disfigurement. Her, the back of her head was, kind of longer and that same kind of mottled coloring and she had more hair it was longer but it was kind of that thin spriggly you know just little spriggles of hair and I wasn't meaning to stare at the back of her head she was probably six feet in front of me and I'm um, just kind of you know not thinking and just looking forward and like oh gosh that poor woman she probably has you know, people stare at her all the time. And as I was just this, you know, again, this happened in a few seconds, she slowly turned around and made direct eye contact with me. And the reason it really frightened me is because she had dark, shadowy, hollow, sunken eyes. Um, I don't know why other people weren't staring. Uh, the weird thing after this was she turned around, made the eye contact. I jerked my head away and, you know, looked in another direction and kind of worked our way as the store doors opened. And right away, I remembered what I had seen in California. And I was, as soon as we got in the doors, I started to kind of look around to, you know, get a second look to confirm what I had seen. And all the little clusters of people were still towards the front part of the store but that woman was no longer in the group like I really really searched each face in the group and she wasn't there and I thought to myself how fast could a disabled woman really you know sprint ahead of all of us like I really should have been able to see her if she was there but she seemed to have either you know gone ahead very very quickly or vanished so the weird thing is I'm going to say that both times <laughs> Both people seemed to know that I was looking and thinking. So I don't know if they were monsters. I've asked a few people what they think, and everybody pretty much is like, uh, that's just really weird. So I don't know what it is. I hope I never, never see it again. It just was probably as far as like a dark thing that I've seen. That is definitely in the top two or three. So anyway, I thought that you would like to hear that story and I still love the podcast and I will listen forever and ever. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bonnie, for sharing your stories. I have two theories that could explain your encounters. Well, three, if you count the possibility that you simply came across two people that suffered similar ailments who just happened to make eye contact with you. My first theory has surprisingly gone unmentioned on Monsters Among Us, partly because I can't help but feel the stories are simply urban legend 
and that the subject matter is anything but politically correct. But many places around the country share stories of what are often referred to as melon heads. Today we're taking a look at a mysterious creature unique to West Michigan. News Channel 3's Aaron Demick joins us with who you should watch out for. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Kirk. They're called melon heads. These little people with large heads are said to creep around the woods of Allegan County. Stories of how they got there differ, but one thing's for sure, they've scared a lot of people. I can kind of see if you're there by yourself or with one other person and you start hearing noises that you're not used to hearing, that your imagination will start to run wild with you. Or it could be a melon head. The vast network of trails surrounding the Felt Mansion and Saugatuck Dunes State Park are said to be haunted by this mysterious band of creatures. You do hear stories of older people that said, well, back when I was a teenager in the 1950s, uh, you know, we would be out and we'd see glowing eyes in the woods or we might see something. Some people believe the melon heads live in an underground series of tunnels, sometimes jumping out to attack people or eat them. There are lots of different stories about how these little monsters got here. They all have to do with people who have hydrocephalus. It's a real condition. Excess fluid in the brain causes the head to grow. The stories say the melon-headed children lived at an asylum near the Felt Mansion. And there was a doctor that was there, and so he had the children and he started conducting experiments on them. The melon heads revolted killing him, eating him, and going into the woods where they supposedly are today. Scott Kuykendale of the Allegan County Historical Society says there's no hard evidence that any of this ever happened. There was never an asylum in the area. However, there was a prison. It's fun if you look at the stories and look at the time frames. It kind of fits into what the fears were at the time. There could be a more simple explanation. The Felt Mansion was once used as a Catholic school, and that caused some tension. The local town folk referred to them as melon heads because they were considered smarter. It was a negative, obviously. Uh, they thought that they came from money and that they were rich and they had big heads because they were so smart. It seems that every town has a scary story to tell, and that can get people interested in the world around them. So for us, it's, it's fantastic because we're able to draw them in with the interest of the paranormal, and at the same time, they're able to learn about the history of the county. The previous clip was courtesy of WWMT News 3 out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Now, of course, these infamous melon heads are not exclusive to western Michigan. Sightings of these mysterious beings have also popped up in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, and Fairfield County, Connecticut. But truth be told, I highly doubt what Bonnie witnessed in California and Illinois were the infamous melonheads, but perhaps entities far, far more sinister. The Men in Black. For those living under a rock, the Men in Black are mysterious men dressed in black suits and typically donning black hats and dark sunglasses. They routinely harass UFO witnesses and attempt to silence them. These men are often described as strange-looking, often hairless, with odd-shaped heads and strange facial features. Now, regarding Bonnie's two sightings, to me it almost seems as though she's being watched or followed. 
This, coupled with her sighting of the extremely tall Mantis Man creature, pushes things in the direction of UFOs, aliens, and close encounters of the fifth kind. Now, I do not have knowledge of Bonnie's timeline, so the following is merely speculative. But, if she saw the Mantis Man prior to her two experiences with the strange-looking humans, that could explain her visits from these so-called men in black. But, without that knowledge, it's difficult for me to make an educated guess either way. But, I will say this. Reports of the female version of the Men in Black are extremely rare, if not completely unheard of. So, perhaps, that detail alone disqualifies this theory. So, at this point, I leave it to you, the listener, to lend suggestions, or perhaps someone listening has had a similar experience. Thank you again, Bonnie, for taking the time to share. Your account was as equally troubling as it was disturbing. Our next caller is another repeat offender. It seems Scott is a conduit for all manner of unexplained activity. Everything from Bigfoot to ghosts to giant spiders and an invisible home intruder. This is his final submission, one of a strange sighting in the night sky. Hey, this is Scott again, and yep, I've had a fair number of uh, paranormal experiences in my life. Most of them haven't been, I guess, particularly dramatic, if that's a adjective that would be apropos for a paranormal event. But uh, since I'm not sure how many people you've got calling in, I figured I'd share another short story for you. This one involves a, a UFO. Um, this was in 1997, and if I remember right, it was June, and I was uh, heading to work riding a motorcycle. I live in a very rural area. Well, it was very rural at the time. It's kind of grown up now. Heading down the road, no street lights, nothing like that, really dark. And I saw what I thought was a shooting star coming down at about a 45 degree angle. Um, it was very brilliant, but it wasn't real bright. It wasn't like illuminating the ground or anything. It looked like a typical shooting star. And I was approaching a, a highway, and uh, no cars on the road. And um, so I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, wow, this is going to impact really close to the highway. I, maybe I can get lucky and find a fragment or something. I don't, I don't know. And about the time that that thought entered my mind, this object, whatever it was, it, it, I wish I could give you a great description and dramatic description, but it, it looked like a shooting star. Um, it instantly changed directions, shot back up into the sky at about a 45 degree angle again. Um, if it had left a trail, it would have basically looked like a V and in the space of five seconds was completely out of sight. Um, and I stopped the motorcycle for a second and was like, holy crap, what did I just see? Um, and that was it. Bright. I mean, if you can just picture a shooting star that drops down at a 45 degree angle and then shoots back up at a 45 degree angle. That's what I saw. Um, I don't know of any terrestrial technology that's capable of that. And last time I checked, shooting stars don't change direction. So anyhow, I hope you found that enjoyable. Keep up the good show. I love the podcast. Take care. Thank you, as always, Scott. I could speculate all night about what he might have witnessed that evening, but at the end of the day... I do not know. 
All I can say is that nothing I'm aware of has the ability to perform the maneuvers that Scott said that it did. So, by all accounts, what he witnessed that night truly was an unidentified flying object. And while on the subject of UFOs, I recently received a short submission from a caller in Indiana detailing something similar to what Scott previously described, so I figured this was as good a time as any to share her encounter. So, here we go. This is Nancy's story. My name is Nancy, and I'm calling you from Indiana. Um, This happened back in the year 78 or 79, I can't recall which. And there's a lot of details that now remain fuzzy to me, but I'll tell you what happened. I went to a a baby shower with a friend of mine, and we attended the shower, and then on the way back, we were coming back through the country, and there was a bright yellow light that seemed to be following us, and it got closer and closer until it almost looked like a sun. And it looked like it was going to engulf us. And we sped up and sped up and sped up. And finally, we got away from it. But I will never forget that as long as I live. It looked like a sun was getting ready to swallow us up. And we were terrified. But I've never seen anything like it since. And that's my story. Thank you. Thank you, Scott and Nancy. My only suggestion to the both of you is to visit the MUFON website to see if anyone else in your area witnessed something similar. I'll go ahead and put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks again. From callers with several experiences under their belt, we move to a caller with only one. But I suppose if you're going to have only one experience, there's no better place to have it than the battlefields of Gettysburg. This is Chelsea's call. Hey, what's up, Derek? This is Chelsea. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania, and I was calling in to share um, one of my, well, it's actually the only strange experience I've ever had in my life, which is why it's um, sort of near and dear to me. Might not be as exciting as what kind of calls you usually get, but uh, I'd like to tell you anyway. So about one or two summers ago, I was visiting Gettysburg with a good friend of mine, and we were just having a fun girls weekend, taking a bunch of ghost tours, Um, went into it with an open mind, weren't expecting anything to happen whatsoever. Um, So that Sunday night, we were taking our last ghost tour through um, the Farnsworth house. And we took this tour because for like $15, you get to play with a bunch of equipment, so like dowsing rods and audio recorders. Um, night vision. So we're like, this will be a good send-off before we head home. So we did that. They took us to a part of Gettysburg called the Grove. Um, The Grove is sandwiched between um, a city street and some football fields. So we're like, whatever, we're just going to have a good uh, send-off before we go home. So we're just playing around, playing with the equipment, I never had used night vision before, so I'm like, wow, this will be a really fun thing to play with. So everybody's kind of split up. Everybody's doing that flash, uh, the flashlight trick where you ask a question, yes or no, with the flashlight partially unscrewed. So the idea is if there's a ghost, they'll tap it for, you know, two for yes, one for no or whatever. 
So everybody's going their separate ways. I'm with Allison, my friend that I'm with. There's a tree maybe 30 feet ahead of us, and it's just one singular tree, nothing around it at all. Um, and the weather, it was like a clear night, and this field is just like an empty little grassy like field. Um, so I just casually took, it's like a real-time night vision um, monocular, like it's, it doesn't record or anything. So I just casually like lifted it up to my eye because I was like, hmm, I wonder what our tour, our fellow tour mates look like on night vision. So when I had put it up to my eye, straight ahead of me, I saw a full body figure um, facing me kind of, it moved so weird. Like the night vision was smooth, but it moved like a DVD skipping frames almost. Um, the thing looked at me. It was holding like a rifle across its chest. And it kind of sidestepped, sidestepped, peeked at me, and then went right behind the tree. And I kind of just put the binocular down. I was like, wow, okay, I just saw something. There was no humanly possible way uh, it could have been a real person that was standing there because there was nowhere for them to hide. The tree was just right there in front of us, nothing around it. So I lowered it. I looked at my friend Allison. I said, I just saw something. She goes, me too. She had seen exactly what I saw, but as a shadow figure, and I had seen this on the night vision. And the strange thing about it on the night vision was it was solid and kind of had a glow to it. It had no like contrast between skin or clothes or anything. It was just one solid glowing color. And it was almost like it was conscious. It was almost like it was playfully hiding from me and sidestepped behind the tree. Um, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. To this day, I still wonder if I really saw it, but I know I did. And that night driving home, we were pretty much silent the whole time, reflecting on the fact that we had seen a full-bodied apparition at Gettysburg. Love the podcast. Thanks for taking my call. Bye. Thank you, Chelsea. I have not yet made it to Gettysburg, and it's a place I desperately want to visit not only for the paranormal implications, but the historic ones as well. One of these days. Chelsea's story reminds me of an encounter my brother had while visiting Gettysburg many years ago. He spent the day hiking and filming the sights with his video camera. It wasn't until he returned home and reviewed the tape that he realized military-style drumming could be heard in the distance. According to him, there was no actual drumming going on while he was there, and in fact the park was relatively unpopulated on that particular day. I've listened to the tape myself, but to be honest, without having been there and knowing for a fact that drums were not playing elsewhere, my reaction was lackluster compared to his. But I still find his account fascinating. There certainly is no shortage of ghost stories coming from that war-torn region of the country. So it's no surprise that Chelsea and her friend had this amazing experience. I only wish the device she was using had the ability to record. Thank you again, Chelsea, for sharing. And at last, this brings us to the little surprise I teased about at the start of the show. Our next call is sure to raise a few eyebrows for those of you that have been listening for the last few seasons. I will let the caller explain, but I will say that I'm quite excited as this story takes place only a couple of miles from my new home. This is John's call. Hey Derek, thanks for the entertaining podcast. My name's John, and if I had to describe myself, I would say that I'm a lifelong skeptic 
in all of this, but I'm still always hunting Bigfoot or wanting it to be real. So uh, cryptids have always been kind of uh, entertaining to me more than anything else. But the one thing that I have to say that has struck me more than anything is the mirrored men stories. And I don't know why that is. Every single time I relate, retell the story or hear the story, it gives me shivers and it strikes me in like a primal part of my fear centers. And I, I don't really know exactly why that is other than the fact that I might be psyching myself out. Well, I have somewhat of a story from that area, and I wanted to relay it. Um, it's actually from your neck of the woods. Um, I grew up in Lake Arrowhead on the San Bernardino Mountains, and um, a lot of days up there are covered in fog, as you probably know, being from around that area now. And that fog, a lot of people up there that have grown up there kind of view it with a little bit of suspicion, um, won't go out and into it and will tell stories about the fog or it's kind of something that kids are scared of. Um, and I don't really know what the, the reason for that is. Um, we don't really have like a, uh, a boogeyman that, you know, in that area that I know of. Um, but I think that might originate from people being scared to drive in it, um, especially among uh, along the rim. It's a pretty treacherous uh, stretch of road, and we've all, anyone that's grown up there knows several people that have lost their lives driving off that road. So it's kind of, you know, a bit of a, a, a bit of a bad omen to have the fog covering. Um, in Lake Arrowhead, there is a place called Strawberry Peak. Was it? And Strawberry Peak is kind of a place that teenagers will go hang out, smoke cigarettes sometimes, uh, make out. It's like the make out point. Um, and off and on throughout my childhood and high school years, you've been able to either drive all the way up to Strawberry Peak or uh, periodically they put up gates that people will bash down <laughs> eventually. So it was it was hit or miss. Um if there was a gate up there, you're able to drive all the way to the point. And at the top of Strawberry Peak is a uh, fire lookout point um, that is sometimes used, sometimes not. So usually there's nobody up there. Um, so I had three friends that went to Strawberry Peak and were not able to drive all the way. There was a gate there and there's a short um, trail that goes from the gate around the opposite side, not along the road to get to Strawberry Peak, and a lot of people use that trail. The uh, These three friends had used that before, knew the area pretty well, they all grew up there, um, but the fog had been rolling in, so everything was a little bit dark, a little bit foggy, and they somehow got separated. And my one friend, she got a little bit farther away from everyone else and started hearing a low humming or one of those low pitched noises that you can, it's barely audible to, uh, to the human ear and was kind of like, what the heck is that? I've never heard something like that. Maybe it's the radio tower up the top, kept on walking, but couldn't really see the other two friends. So she called out to them and they didn't respond and made her a little bit nervous. And so, so when she was walking on this trail, she came up against three 
identical looking figures. Um, and the way that she described it to me was they looked like they were hooded. Um, they didn't look at her. They didn't really do anything, but it scared the hell out of her seeing these three hooded figures with their backs to her um, in the middle of nowhere in the, in the dark forest. So she quickly, as quickly as she could and as quietly as she could, walked from that area. Just just try to get back down to the cars. Um, when she got back down to the cars, mind you, this is probably about 200 yards. Not even, couldn't be more than 400 yards. Um, when she got back down to the cars, the other two friends were frantic. They were like, where the heck were you? We've been calling out to you. It's been like a half an hour of us searching for you. Where were you? We've been up and down the trail several times. And she was like, what are you talking about? I was just up to the trail, just a little bit ahead of you. And I came right back down. It couldn't have been more than five minutes. When we were around a campfire, when she told me this story, um, and I then related the, uh, the mirror men story, uh, that has been the bane of my existence. Um, and it made her stop and think of the similarities, the, the time, uh, the time loss. Now, this friend is a, is someone that I trust pretty much implicitly and would never, I, I've never known her to be an exagger, exaggerate anything. I think she truly, she truly saw something out there. Whether that is the mirrored men or not, I don't know. Whether it was just some kids having some seance out there, I don't know. But what struck me was the loss of time and that there was three of them. That was the same similarities. The three that were all looked the same, all all uh, identical in appearance, um, at least from the back, in clothing, and the lost time. So with those similarities, I thought I would share this story um, since it was again, from your neck of the woods. Um, now, uh, welcome to the area. I've since moved from Lake Arrowhead, but uh, I always think back fondly of that place. So um, I just wanted to share my story. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, John. Just when I think the mirrored man have run their course, another astonishing story falls in my lap. The thing that makes this encounter even more intriguing, at least to me, is the fact that Strawberry Peak is less than five miles from my current home. So I thought, why not go up there, shoot a few pictures, and maybe shoot a little video to allow the viewers to see the location that John is describing. So I highly suggest you head over to the show notes for this episode, which can be found at monstersamonguspodcast.com under the show notes tab. There you will find a series of photos and a short video I shot just yesterday detailing the sighting location and atmosphere. As for John's story... He could not be more accurate in his description. The road to the mountain communities is steep, curvy, and very often enveloped in a dense fog. A fog that conveniently obscures a 2,000-foot drop off the edge of the two-lane highway. As for the specific location of the encounter, Strawberry Peak is the home of the Strawberry Peak Lookout Tower, a large fire tower used to spot forest fires throughout the San Bernardino Mountains. With the exception of the fire tower volunteers and the workers on a few of the cell phone towers also found at the top of the mountain, the area is fairly devoid of people, save for the random dog walker or perhaps the out-of-town sightseer. In addition, 
there doesn't seem to be any historical significance to that area that would lead to any paranormal activity. But that seems to be the way these mirrored men encounters work. In nearly every single encounter I've heard, the location is normal, if not benign. Which makes this location ripe for a sighting. As for the missing time aspect, from the parking area below to the top of the fire tower is, at most, a five-minute walk. And that pathway wraps around the top of the mountain, making the destination just above where you would park a car. So in theory, John's friend should have been able to hear her friends yelling for her. Or at the very least, completed the round trip in less than ten minutes. I will leave you with this realization. It seems that all these mirrored men encounters I've received have taken place in somewhat remote locations. A partially finished cul-de-sac in the suburbs, the middle of the forest while hunting and here, on top of a mountain in the middle of a national forest. I can't help but notice the trend. Thank you, John, for sharing your story. I'm excited that this encounter was close enough that I could head out and investigate it for myself. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I want to see them or not. And that's going to do it for this episode. But before I close this out, I want to remind you that if you have a story, no matter how big or how small it might be, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can find a few other submission options on the website. I did want to take a moment to reach out to a particular caller. If you called in in the last few weeks from the 985 area code, I'm sorry to inform you that the gremlins got you. For some reason, the call that was recorded was so distorted that I could not even decipher who was calling or what it was regarding. So if you don't mind, please, call back. I'd love to hear your story, and I'm sorry for any inconvenience the gremlins might have caused. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever. While you're at it, write me a nice review and give me one of those five-star ratings. It's not so much for me, but more for other listeners out there. Reviews help attract new listeners, and new listeners have new stories. You get the drift. I'm proud and excited to announce that Monsters Among Us is now played in syndication on the podcast radio network, each and every Sunday evening at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can check that out at podcastradionetwork.net. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't be afraid to interact on there, either. I really enjoy hearing from you guys. I have a few new donators I owe a personal thank you to. Carol R. and Frank D. Thank you so much for the kind gesture. I am very grateful. And I wouldn't be much of a hustler if I didn't mention that there's still four days left to sign up for the first shipment of Cryptid Crate. This box is loaded with some awesome items any cryptid fan would go ape for. So believe me when I say you don't want to miss out. Go to www.cryptidcrate.com to order yours today. Cutoff for the first box is May 15th. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.